0: Sisters, you may be seated. This is the day that the Lord has made, and we rejoice and are glad in it. It has been my great privilege to serve you by looking at God's Word, guiding you through God's Word this weekend, and I'm also grateful, as has already been said, for this, the staff and the volunteers here who have done so many things Um, to make this a smooth time for us to have fellowship and spend time in God's Word and enjoy His creation. Just to remind you of where we've been over this weekend, we started by looking at what it means to trust Christ. And we saw how Mary humbled herself and entrusted herself to the Lord, even when her life took a very surprising turn. Then we saw what it means to seek Christ And we looked at Anna and how Anna made seeking Jesus the priority of her life. And then finally last night we looked at what it means to know Christ. And we looked at that unnamed woman who was by the well who asked questions to find out who Christ was and what it is that God requires of us. And then today, in our final session, we get the great opportunity to look at what it means to love Christ. What it means to love and to be loved by Jesus. And to do that, we're going to look at the story of Mary Magdalene. You know, we often learn about love from watching other people. And um, over the past several years, I had an opportunity to watch my mother care for her dad, my grandfather. Um, in the last um, years of his life, and I watched her pretty carefully, and I noticed, you know, her struggles to make sure that he had kind and responsible people that were providing daily care for him. I saw how she spent hours, you know, organizing his finances and arranging his bills and his bank statements and setting them out on his kitchen table just to simplify his life for him. I saw how she spent a good deal of time trying to locate the perfect set of pajamas for him. You know, the one that had a pocket for his phone and the crew neck that he likes and the extra long length on the t-shirt. And she did all of these things, caring for her aging father at the end of his life because she loved him. And I was watching, taking notes because I know one of these days, I'm going to be in the position of caring for aging parents. And I have a lot to learn about how to do that well. So today, in our passage today, we're going to have an example of love that we can and should imitate. And we're going to be looking at the story of Mary Magdalene. My hope is that we can see from Mary Magdalene what love for Christ looks like, and then we can go ahead and apply that to our own lives. So if you would turn with me in the Gospel of John, John chapter 20, We're going to read this story that the Lord gives us about Mary Magdalene. This story comes to us um, at the tomb. So after Christ's death on the cross, he was buried in the tomb for three days. And then we get to join Mary Magdalene's story in John chapter 20, which takes place on Easter morning on that, that first day after Christ has been in the tomb for three days Then we join the story in John chapter 20, and I'm going to start reading in verse 1. Again, I'm reading from the English Standard Version. You might have something slightly different, but it's the Word of God that we have before us. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus's head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb "'Why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking?' Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, "'Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away.' Jesus said to her, "'Mary.' She's turned and said to him in Aramaic, "'Rabboni,' which means teacher.' Jesus said to her, "'Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father.' but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. This morning, I want us to consider Mary's story under three headings. I want us to see, first of all, that out of love, Christ sought Mary, Then I want us to see that out of love, Mary sought Christ. And then, thirdly and finally, I want us to see that out of love, Christ allowed himself to be found. As we consider Mary Magdalene's story, we'll see how her story is really not so different from our story. And ultimately, how the Christ who loved her and whom she loved is the same Christ with whom we also have a relationship of love. So first, let's see that Christ, in love, sought Mary. Now, to properly understand what happened to Mary Magdalene in this text that we just read, we first have to understand what happened to Mary Magdalene prior to these Resurrection Day events at the tomb. Now, you may have heard some crazy stories about Mary Magdalene in your life. Um, Church tradition and rogue novelist Dan Brown (coughs) have come up with some very strange misunderstandings about Mary. Um, Saying things like, she was formerly a prostitute, she was secretly married to Jesus, she was the same as the sinful woman in Luke 7 that anointed Jesus' feet, even simply things like, she was probably young and pretty. And none of these ideas are supported by biblical testimony. And in fact, in some cases, they're really contradicted by it. What we have in Scripture is a tiny snippet of information about Mary's past. And we find that in Luke chapter 8. So if you want to keep your finger in John 20, we are going to come back here. But look with me at Luke chapter 8, and we'll see what we know for sure about Mary Magdalene. In Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 1, we have a few verses here. Um, Luke says, Soon afterward, he, that is Jesus, went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, his disciples, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. So we'll come back to this text and unpack some other parts of it later, but for now, notice what it says in verse two about Mary. It calls her, Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. Magdalene is probably refers to Magdala, the town that she was from. Who was Mary before Jesus met her? Well, she was a demoniac. She was enslaved, she was controlled by, she was mastered by seven demons. This information about the seven demons is also repeated in Mark's gospel. So in two places in scripture, we hear about Mary's past. Mary was enslaved by demons. Now, this detail is all that we have about Mary's demon possession. But the gospels are not short on stories about people who were healed from demon possession, right? And I think their stories can give us a picture that we can build of what Mary's situation probably was before jesus healed her when we think about the gospels and the various people who were possessed by demons in jesus's ministry we notice that they have a really desperate condition Um, usually the scripture calls them oppressed or sometimes it calls them severely oppressed by demons Um, we see demoniacs throughout the new testament gospels who are violent um, they're often so violent, that the demons are causing them to be violent, so violent that they're isolated from human interaction. You think of the demoniac who's out in the wilderness. Nobody could go near him because he was so violent that he would attack anyone who came near him. Uh, sometimes they were unable to speak. The demons made them mute. Um, they were often inclined to self-harm. Matthew's gospel tells us a story of a boy who's possessed by, by a demon that would throw him into the fire. Um, or uh, Mark's Gospel tells us about a, a demon-possessed man who would cut himself with stones. Um, Mark's Gospel repeats the story of a demoniac who didn't sleep and who ran around naked. Um, if you were in the first century, and you had been rocking down the street, and you had met a demoniac, likely you would have snatched up your children and run the other way. People who were possessed by demons were, were scary people. Um, And so far from the sort of sultry, romanticized portrait that we often have of Mary Magdalene before she came to Christ, the stories of demoniacs in the scriptures give us a terrible picture. Um, Demoniacs were isolated from society. They were harmful to themselves and others. They were unable to communicate, naked, sleepless, sick, in constant danger. And perhaps most importantly, demoniacs were powerless, to change their condition. They were oppressed, they were enslaved, they were controlled by these demons. This brings us to another truth about people possessed by demons in the Gospels. In every account of someone who is healed from a demon in the New Testament Gospels, we see that either a friend or family member brought that person to Jesus to be healed, or Jesus himself sought out that person and healed them. No demoniac in scripture ever sought Jesus' healing for herself, on her own power, by her own initiative. And of course, why would she, right? Under the power of seven demons who are servants of Satan, who hate Christ, who hate all of his works, and who know that Christ has the power to cast them out, Mary Magdalene would have been unable to seek Christ for herself. Now, the scripture doesn't tell us the exact circumstances of how Mary was healed by Jesus, but we can be certain that it was because Christ had compassion on her, apart from any effort of her own. At some point along the way, Christ saw this woman possessed, oppressed, controlled by seven demons, and he reached out to her. He healed her, He rebuked and cast out her demons, and he freed her from the oppressive power of the evil one. And Mary herself did nothing. She didn't seek Jesus. Jesus sought her. And in this way, Mary's story is our own story. Look with me in the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul is telling the Ephesian church their story of coming to know christ and he's writing to the church and he tells them in ephesians chapter 2 starting in verse 1 he says and you you christians were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world following the prince of the power of the air the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience like mary we once followed satan too we followed the prince of the power of the air we followed satan before you came to christ you said yes sir to satan satan said go do that you said yes sir how quickly can i go do it satan said go try that you said yes sir of course i will right we were not demon possessed but we were like those gospel demon those demoniacs in the gospel oppressed even severely oppressed by satan And the picture for us is not pretty either right paul says and you were dead in trespasses and sins that you lived in the passion verse three among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind each of us before we came to christ were in a desperate condition And it's important for us to realize that no matter what our Christian testimony is, yours may be one that seems very close to Mary Magdalene's, where you can say, yes, I I can clearly see that Satan was telling me what to do and I was doing his bidding. For others of us, um, even like myself, I grew up in a Christian home. I was told the things of Christ. I believed in Christ from a very early age. And yet, what Paul says is true of me as well that there was a time in my life when I was under Satan's control. Like Mary, we were also powerless to do anything about it. We were dead in our trespasses. We were, you know, a puppet of Satan. And yet, verse four, Verse. first we've got all the bad news and then verse four is the good news, isn't it? But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. We have been delivered from evil. We have been made alive. We have been delivered from the tyranny of sin and Satan. Like Mary and the other demoniacs, after Christ reaches out to us, we are changed. After Christ heals us, we're like that demon-possessed man who is found clothed and in his right mind, and the people couldn't believe it. The guy who had been running around naked, hurting everybody in the wilderness, Jesus came, he healed him, everybody came out, and here he was, clothed in his right mind, sitting down, speaking reasonable sentences. But then, then, these verses in Ephesians circle back again to remind us that our deliverance from the oppression of Satan wasn't anything we did, right? In verse 5, he says, even when we were dead in our trespasses. And then in verse 8, he says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Mary didn't go around saying, guess what, I cast my own demons out myself. And none of us can go around saying, you know what? We escaped the power of Satan ourselves. No, it was but God. It was the grace of Christ in our lives. Our salvation, like the old hymn says, is, I sought the Lord, and afterward I knew. He moved my soul to seek him seeking me. Twas not so much that I on him took hold as thou, dear Lord, on me. And why? So what motivated God to reach out to Mary? What motivated God to reach out to all of us when we were dead, when we were enslaved to the prince of the power of the air, when we were saying yes, sir, to Satan? Well, verse 4 tells us God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. The reason that the Lord saved Mary, the reason that he saves any of us, is because he loves us, because he has a great love for us, even while we are his enemies, even while we're dead, even while we're serving Satan. He has loved us. Now, I have a question for you. Do you think that Mary ever forgot for once in her life that she had been possessed by seven demons and that Jesus had set her free? I bet she never forgot it. I bet every morning when she woke up and was clothed in her right mind, she remembered what she was and she remembered what God had made her and she gave thanks. Sisters, it's not pleasant to read those verses in Ephesians about what we once were. And yet it is so important to remind ourselves that we are not what we, we once were. That if we have trusted in Christ and come to him and are seeking him and knowing him and worshiping him, that we are different people that we are no longer enslaved to Satan, and that we belong to Christ because he loved us. Before Christ came to us in love, we were slaves to our credit cards and our to-do lists. We were oppressed by our desire to be beautiful or to be successful. We were shackled to our quest for people's approval. Maybe we were sickened by our addiction to junk food or alcohol or sex. Maybe we were isolated in our attempts to get ahead in this world. We were stripped naked by our greed and envy and pride and lust. We were constantly endangered by our rebellion against the God who made us. And we were unable to speak, to use our mouths, to praise our Creator. But. God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he has loved us, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. So let's always remember our desperate condition and give thanks that God in Christ sought us in love. So the first part of Mary Magdalene's story, the first part of our story, is that Christ sought us in love. The second thing, though, that we see from Mary Magdalene's story is that Mary sought Christ in love. Because Christ first reached out to her, healed her, and saved her, and set her free from these demons, then Mary, in turn, dedicated her life to seeking Christ. She dedicated her life to loving him, to being with him, to learning from him, to serving him. Mary had been rescued by Christ, and so then she loves him in return. If you turn back to the passage we were in in Luke chapter 8, where we first learned about Mary being healed by those demons, we find out that after she was freed from the demons by Christ, then she dedicates her life to becoming a disciple. Um, You know, I think sometimes we think of Christ's disciples as being only those 12 men who followed him, and that is true. And those men went on to have a particular apostolic function in the church. But we also see that Christ, Christ had lots of disciples and that there were women who were his disciples. And they had a slightly different role maybe in his ministry. But that he welcomed women to come and follow him just as he had welcomed men to come and follow him. So in Luke 8 where we see that she was one of the women from whom seven demons had gone out. We also see in verse 3 that these women provided for them out of their means so these women who had been healed by christ then followed christ around sat under his teaching and then whatever means they had they gave to supply for christ's ministry so that he would have food to eat so that he would have a place to to stay so that he would have clothes to wear so that he would have his needs met so jesus travels through the area preaching and the 12 were with him and also some women including mary magdalene so that means that mary left everything so that she could follow Christ, and then she provided for Christ out of her means. So she followed him, learned from him, and then served him however she had an opportunity. You know, it's interesting to note that one of the chief characteristics of demoniacs throughout the Gospels is their isolation. I don't know if you remember, but when John the Baptist came preaching, and he was out in the wilderness and he was preaching and he was you know eating locusts and wild honey and wearing camel's hair garments and people what what did people accuse him of they said oh John he has a demon right because to them somebody who was out in the wilderness and who was isolated they associated that with having a demon because of the violent and oppressive spirits that um, oppress somebody who has a demon, then they're cut off from relationships. They're not safe to be around. Someone who had a demon was not safe to be around, and so they're alone. But look, Christ changes all that for Mary. He brings her out of isolation and into a relationship with himself, and then also a relationship with all these other people who are following Christ and serving him and providing for his needs as they learn from him. Now, Mary followed Jesus throughout his earthly ministry, as we see in Luke 8. We also see that Mary followed Jesus right up until his death. So in John 19 and Mark 15, we're not going to turn there, but sometime you can look those up, we find the accounts of Jesus' crucifixion. And in the hours leading up to his crucifixion, of course, many of his disciples left him. And they, Some of them even denied him, certainly one of them betrayed him, and met, they all scattered, and none were there. And yet, we do read in those passages that there was one, at least, who stood by the cross and stayed with Christ, and that was Mary Magdalene. You know, when Mary Magdalene was powerless, Christ came to her. And so then, in the hour when Christ seemed powerless... Mary Magdalene wanted to be with him. And then, of course, even after his death, Mary Magdalene still followed Christ. You know, when Pilate released the body, Jesus' body, to Joseph of Arimathea, then Mary Magdalene went with him to see where Jesus was buried. So she followed the body all the way from the cross to the tomb so that she knew where the body was. And then, as we'll get to in a minute, the passage that we read before, um, from John 20. Then, of course, she was there on Easter morning ready to minister to Christ. Uh, as one commentator says, Mary Magdalene was the last at the cross and the first at the tomb. So this brings us to the empty tomb on that resurrection morning and the passage that we read earlier from John 20. Um, I'm not going to read it again, but you can go ahead and turn there just so you can kind of refer to it so you know what we're talking about. Uh, because there's so much coming and going in this passage that we read, um, and in the other gospel accounts um, of other similar events, it's probably helpful for us to just kind of walk through what, what, what's actually happening in this passage, especially as it concerns Mary Magdalene. So we find out in the beginning of John 20 that early in the morning, it says when it, when it was still dark, so very, first thing, you know, she, they were ready to go, Mary Magdalene comes to the tomb. And we know from other gospel accounts that she was accompanied by other women and they came to the tomb for the purpose of anointing Jesus' body with spices as part of the the burial process uh, of the first century. So that, but then it seems like in our passage um, in verses 1 and 2 here, that as they were approaching the tomb, then with these women who were coming to anoint the body, Mary notices that the stone is rolled away from the tomb entrance. She, she knows where she's going because she followed the body on Friday night, and so she knows where it is, and she sees, oh, this, something's not right. So she leaves the group of other of women that were going, and she runs back to where the disciples are to tell Peter and John, she tells them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have laid them. So I went with the women, we went, Jesus is there, come help. So then Peter and John start coming toward the tomb, and Mary Magdalene follows behind them, and they they're running back to the tomb to investigate. And then in verses 3 through 10, Peter and John come up to the tomb, they see the empty tomb, they see the grave clothes. they see the evidence of the resurrection. They believe the truth that Christ has been resurrected, and then they return home. And Mary then, it comes up kind of behind them, and then we see in verse 11 that she lingers after they've left. So they've kind of come and gone, and then here she is. She doesn't go inside the tomb with Peter. I don't know why, but she doesn't go in with him. She just sort of stays outside weeping. So we'll stop here in the narrative, and then we'll return to the rest of the narrative in a minute. But what I want us to focus on right now is just the fact that Mary devoted herself to being where Christ was. You know, from the time of her healing from those seven demons to this moment in John 20, Mary had attached herself to Christ. She followed him Throughout Galilee, she listened to his teaching. She ministered to him whatever way she could. She didn't abandon him in the last hours of his life. She stayed at the cross when he was dying and all the other disciples had left. And even after his death, even when she was convinced that he was dead forever and was never, ever coming back, she wanted to be where he was. And isn't that the mark of love? You know, don't people just delight to be with the person that they love? and maybe you have a best friend and you just wouldn't dream of you know going to the movies by yourself because she's the one that laughs at all the same jokes that you laugh at and so you want to go together you know mothers and daughters enjoy meeting for coffee or going shopping together just because they like each other you know grandparents love having their grandkids over to bake cookies because it just gives them so much delight to be together as church members we get excited a a fellowship lunch or a church picnic just because it's an opportunity we come here to something like this partly just so that we can be with people that we love and get a chance to spend some time together you know for newlyweds even doing the dishes together sounds like a really fun time just because you get to stand next to each other and do something right we love to be with the people that we love and mary magdalene didn't just sort of enjoy being with jesus as if it were just when it was convenient, she made it the priority of her life. You know, you think of her standing there at the cross, who was there? Well, a bunch of drunk soldiers, none of the other Christians were there, people who were hostile to Christ and wanted to see him killed. It was not safe or convenient for for her to stick around at the cross, and yet she loved Christ so much that she made it a priority to be there and to be with him. So what does this mean for us? Well, if Christ has rescued us, if we truly love him, we will want to be wherever Christ can be found. That means we're going to make it a priority to gather with his body, the church, as they worship him Sunday after Sunday. It means we're going to listen eagerly to the word of God as it's preached. Because as we said earlier, you know, the whole testimony of scripture is a story about Jesus It means we're going to come together and pray with God's people. What does Jesus say? Where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. And so when we come with God's people to pray, well, that's where Jesus is going to be. So you better believe we want to show up. On our own and on our families, we're going to read the Bible and pray and sing because that is how we draw close to Jesus. And we'll memorize God's word. We'll hide it in our hearts so that we can know better the one that our souls love. There's no doubt as you read this story about Mary Magdalene that here is a woman who clearly loved Christ. Sisters, if people read your story, do you think they would say the same about you? Third and finally, so we saw that that Christ in his love sought Mary. Then we saw that Mary in love sought christ and then finally we're going to see that out of love christ allows himself to be found by mary look with me then still at john 20 um, but we're going to come to the end of that section in verse 11 and i'm actually going to read it again because i want us to see the details here john chapter 20 starting in verse 11 but mary stood weeping outside the tomb and as she wept she stooped to look into the tomb and she saw two angels in white and I will take him away. Mary's life had been radically crushed at this point. The person that her soul loved most was dead, and she couldn't see, she couldn't do, she couldn't think of anything else. In fact, she's so overwhelmed by her focus on Christ and his death and her grief over Jesus' death that the angels barely even make an impression on her right? If you think about anywhere else in scripture, we have somebody and an angel appears to them. What happens? They hit the deck, right? I mean, here's this otherworldly, shining, powerful, crazy being that has just appeared to me, and they are on their face, or even like the Apostle John, they're tempted to worship because this is so crazy that this angel is here, and Mary is just like, oh, angels, okay, you know, she's so upset, she is so grief-stricken that her Jesus is dead that she cannot think of anything else. Having lost Jesus, nothing else can frighten Mary, and consumed with devotion to him, nothing else can entice her to worship. But then, right, Christ appears to her. She doesn't recognize him at first, right? She doesn't, she, he talks to her, and she, again, she's so consumed by her grief that she doesn't even really recognize her. And then, but then in verse 16, Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. She doesn't recognize him, but then in the same voice that he to cast those seven demons out of her, he calls her name. The scripture tells us that the sheep know the shepherd's voice. And so when he said her name, she thought, oh, oh, that's Jesus. Here he is. She recognized him and she cries out, Rabboni. You know, this teaches us that Jesus is so pleased to be found, so pleased to show himself to those of us who love him and seek him. Scripture is full of promises that those who seek the Lord will find him. We talked about the one from Deuteronomy 4 earlier this weekend. You know, if you seek me, you will find me. If you seek me with your whole heart. When we're gathered with two or three for prayer or with a hundred for Sunday worship or in the private study of God's word, we can be sure that Jesus loves to reveal himself to us. And that's something that we can pray. Lord, I want to draw close to you. I want to know you more. I want to have a relationship with you. Come, come near, draw near to me. Speak to me in your voice, the voice of the shepherd. Sisters, when you seek the Lord by faith, he will be found. Now, this brings us to the end of this conversation um, with Mary and the, the very end of our passage in, in John 20. And it, at, on the surface, is a little bit puzzling to us what happens here. Je- verse 17, Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and sisters and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and your God. Then Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. We've just finished this sort of incredibly tender moment when Mary has been seeking Jesus. She's consumed by grief. She's seeking Jesus with all of her heart. She finally hears him call her name. She recognizes him. And of course she's going to want to grab him and give him a hug. And then he says, don't cling to me. And this is a little bit puzzling right what's jesus doing is he putting her off is he sending her away is he asking her for some space this doesn't seem like what we would expect jesus to do does it Um, but jesus is not actually distancing himself from her here he's actually promising her an even closer communion than she's had before notice a few things about what jesus says you know he points her first of all to his ascension. He says, I, I'm, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. So, so he's saying, this, this is coming. My ascension is coming. I'm going to ascend up to the Father. I'm not going to be here bodily anymore. And we know that what we receive from Christ's ascension, we actually gain something when Christ ascends, right? Because what is the ascended Christ doing? Well, the ascended Christ sends his spirit, to live in us and to be our teacher and the ascended Christ always lives to make intercession for us and so he is at the right hand of the father praying for us and pleading for us and so no Jesus is not going to be right there next to Mary bodily he's going to be doing something even better he's going to send his spirit and he's going to be at the right hand of the father making intercession so he was not Jesus was never raised to take up earthly ministry again He was raised to take up his heavenly ministry, so he would no longer be traveling around Galilee, preaching in the towns and villages like Mary was used to. Instead, he's going to be doing something even more glorious. He'll be sitting at the right hand of God, ruling his kingdom and making intercession for all his beloved people. And he was also going to send his spirit to be their helper and their comforter. So Jesus' relationship with Mary was changing. He is signaling that our relationship is changing, but he's signaling that it's getting better. He also, in in what he says to her, underscores his close relationship with those who follow him notice here that he calls them my brothers this is the first time in scripture that he calls those who followed him my brothers he uh you know it it calls to mind in hebrews 2 where the author to the hebrews says jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers you know jesus has by his death on the cross he secured a new relationship with these followers. Now they could be, by his blood, brought into his very family and be made his brothers. And so he's establishing a new relationship, a closer relationship, a family relationship. They're no longer, the disciples are no longer just his followers, they're also his brothers. And then, even more, then he includes his brothers and sisters in his relationship with the father. He says, I'm ascending to my father, and your father to my god and your god this is what jesus does by his work on the cross then he he reconciles us to the father and so we now have a relationship with the father just as jesus has a relationship with the father and so he's telling mary our relationship is changing. It's changing for the better, and by what I have just done, now I'm bringing you into a relationship with the Father that you can call my Father, and you can call him your, my God because of what he's done. This is for us, too, and this can be an encouragement for us. You know, we might be a little sad sometimes. Maybe you've thought of this, you know, you've read the Gospels and you've thought, oh, if only if only Jesus was right here bodily in my midst, you know, if only I could have a meal with Jesus, if only I could have traveled those roads in Galilee and heard him speak, you know, if only he could have reached out and touched me and healed me of this thing that I'm suffering from. And we don't have Jesus physically present in our midst. But Jesus has defined our relationship here and it's even better than when he was on the earth. Um, A little bit later in John 20, um, in John uh, 20 verse 29, Jesus says uh, to Thomas actually, have you believed because you have seen me? You know, Thomas was the one who wanted to see and said, I'm not going to believe unless I put my hand in his nail holes. And, And Jesus says, okay, have you believed because you've seen me? Then Jesus says, Blessed are those who have not seen and have yet believed. It's even better. It it might have been great to be Thomas to see Christ with physical eyes. Jesus says it's even better. It's even more blessed to be those who haven't seen with physical eyes and yet have believed with the eyes of the heart. Sisters, we have God as our Father. We are Christ's brothers and sisters. We have an intercessor. We have the Spirit sisters, we too can proclaim with Mary Magdalene, I have seen the Lord. So Christ sought Mary and Mary sought Christ. And then Christ allows himself to be found by Mary. And this is our condition as well. We have been sought by him. We have an opportunity to seek him and then he will be found by us. I'd like to quote, uh, finish with a few words um, from Gerhardus Voss, a 19th century theologian, and he preached on this text, and he says, in conclusion, Let us then not linger at the tomb, but turn our faces and stretch our hands upward into heaven, where our life was hid with Christ in God. And from there, he will also come again, To show himself to us as he did to Mary. Jesus will come back for us. He will reveal himself to us on the last day. And he will make us speak the last great rabboni, which will spring to the lips of all of the redeemed when they meet the Savior in the early dawn of that eternal Sabbath that awaits the people of God. Sisters, let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this opportunity that we have had to consider Mary Magdalene and most of all to consider Christ who sought us and rescued us and loves us and reveals himself to us. I pray that as we go out from this place that you might make us women who love Christ more and who seek him and know him and love him in all of our ways and we thank you for the privilege of being disciples of Christ. We pray this in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen.